Disclaimer. The Dub Talk podcast may contain language and situations that may not be appropriate for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. This episode also contains spoilers for the Darwin's game and I'm. Please be aware, if you listen to this episode you will be spoiled. And as always, views and opinions expressed belong to the individual participants and do not necessarily reflect the Dub Talk podcast as a whole. Are you a robot? Ha ha ha, that's a joke. Please accept the terms and conditions and enjoy the episode. Hello, gamers, and welcome to a brand new episode of Dub Talk, a show where a bunch of nerds get together and talk about the latest and greatest in anime dubs and voiceover. Um, I'm Roots of Justice, and today we're sort of doing a little bit of a mini episode here. Um, he he says mini episode, but it's more like Roots and I are the only ones who watch the show. <laughs> so it's it's actually true. Yes, it's actually true. Hello, my name is Stephanie, and I'm also here. <laughs> um, so with the winter 2020 anime dub streaming season finally coming to a close five years later. <laughs> I mean, not their fault. <laughs> no, definitely not their fault. Everything else is full, just, but not 2020 their fault. has just been a year. 2020 has just been a year. 2020 has felt like five years. <laughs> what it, is it? What is that, um... What is that fucking, um... Power Rangers thing? The first season's like, I've been locked away for 10,000 years! Ah! After 10,000 years, that's I'm free! It, that's it! Time to I'm conquer free. Earth! <laughs> that's exactly it. Thank you. <laughs> or it's it like, like that's, that's exactly with, um, what this year is. I was thinking more along the lines of Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade with the, with the guy who drank the false... <laughs> drink from the false grail and just grew old oh my god <laughs> this year has aged all of us like 20 years oh my god <laughs> it's fucking insane <laughs> anyway uh so you the listener are probably wondering what the show is that was that was sort of yeah only two people the, the, really the, wanted the, to the, watch the, the, it the, the, it's um, a thing <laughs> It's Darwin's game. Yup. Yay, Darwin's game. <laughs> the cell phone death game manga adaptation from an author with a really great name of Flip Flops. Yep, that is legit the name of the author of this one. Uh, <laughs> more, more fun facts. <laughs> I discovered this last night. The original run of the manga started in December of 2012, and it has 21 volumes to it. It's still ongoing, by the way. The manga is still ongoing. I'm like, what? (laughs) Since 2012, so eight years. So you can imagine all of the hiccups that could have come across along the way. Compressed into 11 episodes and a recap. Pretty much. So if you're wondering what Darwin's Game is all about, I've got a plot summary for you, courtesy of Anime News Network. 
Kaname Sudo is a high school boy who is drawn to a mysterious game app titled Darwin's Game. He becomes involved in a social game where the stakes are life and death. Wow, that is, that is very broad. I have the Wikipedia one. It has a little bit more detail to it. Just a smidge, but... <laughs> uh, I can read that if you want. <laughs> sure. Uh, 17-year-old Kaname Sudo accepts an online invitation by a friend to play an app game called Darwin's Game. Unbeknownst to him that it involves a fight between life and death. Those who play the game are given a sigil, an ability that varies from player to player. Trapped in this game of relentless murder and conquest, Kaname Kaname deter- Wow, fuck, it's not even written proper grammar. Kaname is determined to clear the game and seek out and kill the game master. Who, um, That's a little bit better of a description, but still pretty broad. <laughs> who looks kind of suspiciously like, um, what's his name? The Apple Guy. The Apple Guy? Oh, as in, um, fucking, um, Tim Cook? No, 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 the guy before that. Uh, Steve Jobs, there we go. Thank you! I was like, we're talking about actual Apple, right? (laughs) Yeah. Oh, man. Like, TLDR of this show, it basically falls along the lines of fucking other preceding shows, like Future Diary and King's Game the Animation. Which, um... Legit. (laughs) Really great pedigree there, Death Game Adaptations. Really great pedigree. I'm not gonna lie, this is the least trashy show of the three. Pretty much. And that's saying a lot, because Future Diary has a fan base. Yeah! We we, we all like to pretend King's Game does not exist, but Future Diary has a fan base. <laughs> that people will go to bat for. <laughs> like... Oh, boy, do they. Me, me watching, having watched all three of those shows... I'm just like, this is the least trashy of the three, but it still tries to be edgy as all hell. Oh my god. <laughs> it's not it... even funny. <laughs> it's like oh a Linkin Park Dragon Ball Z MV. It is that edgy. <laughs> Whereas the other you two are... <laughs> no, sorry. Keep going. I don't, I don't even know how to describe the other two. I really don't. Oh, if we're if we're doing the analogy of the ultimate in Otaku Edge for this. <laughs> I don't know how much further we could go. I don't know either at this point. <laughs> I'm just laughing because you describe this as like a a Dragon Ball Z AMV and it Dragon Ball Z Linkin Park AMV horseshit. And I'm laughing because of what happened right before we started recording. <laughs> Because Andrew's visiting me right now, and uh, I was like, I I told him to leave me alone because we have to record edgy bullshit. He starts playing Linkin Park's Numb on his phone, (laughs) and Roots' response was, get that Dragon Ball Z AMV shit out of (laughs) here. Oh, come on. It doesn't even matter, okay? Shut up! There's the highlight right fucking there. That's it. (laughs) Oh, that was beautiful. <laughs> that was great. <laughs> we can't plan this shit. <laughs> we can't. Like, Roots and I have already determined before we started recording, like, the the motto, basically, of Dub Talk when we record this is, fuck it, we'll do it live. <laughs> That's how we roll. But, um, 
<laughs> trying to loop it back in here. Darwin's Game is a little bit unique uh, in terms of production-wise because this show is officially licensed by Aniflex of America. However, the dub is a Funimation-produced dub. Yeah, this and is... And I think, I rem- if I remember right, this is the first one after the new partnership between Funimation and Aniplex. It is, and um, not only that, unless you count uh, the Black Butler third season OVAs and movie and um, anything Funimation has picked up from Noitamina, Mm -hmm. this is actually the first um, Aniplex-produced show to be dubbed by Funimation since Guilty Crown. And that yeah, was, like, much. 2011. That's... I think that's about right. Yeah, because... If Guilty Crown was the last one at that point... Yeah, I think that's... I think that's accurate, because Aniplex was starting to... T- of America was starting to take back their properties not too, too long after that. So, it's... It's a very interesting circumstance now that we have this new partnership and this being... This, oddly enough, being among the first... Aniplex produced dubs with Funimation involved. It's very strange. Very strange feeling. And you know what? I don't mind it, because it also paved the way for a few more that we have this year. Yeah. Like, because we have... fun Kage- ones Like, Kaguya-sama that. and... Oh, no, yeah, 100%. Like, Kaguya-sama and Millionaire Detective being the two big ones, of course, um, for this year, which is very interesting. And it makes it makes you wonder if, like... Because Anaplex never dubs everything that they usually pick up. It makes you wonder of the possibility that they'll go back and have Funimation do something. Because technically you can say that about Kaguya-sama. Right. Technically you can say that. And you know, this season also we have the regular at Magical High School. Which did not get a dub when it first came out. And now... Mm -hmm. Funimation is the exclusive streamer for it, so you right. could theoretically go back and dub that. And not to mention, Aniplex has an entire back catalog of mm-hmm. fun shows. Oh, 100% that they never dubbed. Like, you have Silver Spoon, Sp- Silver Spoon Samurai Flamenco, those are the two I can think of offhand. Uh, I don't think they ever did a dub for Nizakoi, but I never really followed that show. Um... No, Anaplex has a, quite a few. And I mean, Funimation has been gaining Anaplex's library as well for the streaming site, which is great. So things like Silver Spoon and Samurai Flamenco are available to stream now. So it's very interesting. I'm I'm wondering if some of the old stuff that Funimation had that expired will eventually circle back. So, uh, yeah, can we have Shiki back, please? Maybe Bakano too while we're at it. I would appreciate it. <laughs> Because those two shows need to get watched. Hint, hint, Paradise Kiss. Hint, hint. Oh, <laughs> wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Yes. <laughs> I mean, we got one white whale in Paranoia Agent this year. Why not give us another white whale? <laughs> white whale <laughs> that year. Steph and I had both spent like 200 bucks to acquire I the year before. <laughs> Me being Paranoia Agent, you being Paradise Kiss. <laughs> Fuck, man. Oh. Oh, God, we've been rambling on for a solid, like, 12 minutes right. <laughs> about and, nothing. You know, <laughs> you know someone who knows not to, knows how not to handle rambling? ADR staff. That's how and we lead into this. And this show happens okay. to have it. 
<laughs> Way to bring it back, Hertz. <laughs> um, so we gotta just, do what we can, right? So as a general disclaimer, this is a full series review. Um, yep. We did not make predictions for this, and it will cover all of... And it will cover all 11 dubbed episodes of the series. Yep. We say 11. It's... Technically, you could call it 12 episodes if you split the first episode in half, because the first episode is like 40 plus minutes. Oh, that's right. Um, yeah. So, technically, it's 12 episodes, but the actual run is 11 episodes, with episode one being 40-something minutes long. Um, and then there's like but, an episode yeah. eight and a half somewhere in there that's just completely recap. Is there really? I never saw that, actually. It's not on the, um, it's not on the... Funimation site. That's interesting. Oh, I didn't know it wasn't streamed. Interesting. I, I know it wasn't No, dubbed. it wasn't. Anyway. it's At least for my, what I have, it's not. So that's weird. Interesting. Uh, anyway, from a staff perspective, um, yes. our ADR director for this series is one Clifford Chapin. And he was assisted particularly in episode 5, but I think she mentioned she also did some work in some other episodes... Um, mm -hmm. A frequent collaborator of Clifford Chapin's, one Brittany Lauda. Mm -hmm. And in terms of script writing, we have Caitlin Barr. You would know Clifford Chapin from such shows as Dr. Stone, Smile Down the Runway, and he also assisted in Yona of the Dawn. It, well, technically, technically. I'm Are you pushing up your glasses right now? My glasses are off so that my, they don't hurt while wearing my headphones for long periods of time. He assisted on the second half of Yon of the Dawn, but he was the full ADR director for the first half of Yon of the Dawn. So technically, he was director for Yon okay. of the Dawn. Okay. That is fair. Technically. <laughs> technically Still counts. as I put my glasses up. At least I'm not having a fucking, well, actually moment. Because we, we got rid of that a long time ago. <laughs> Thank God. Thank God. I'm not going to pull that shit. <laughs> oh, boy. Um, Brittany Lauda, you would know as director of such shows as Legend of the Galactic Heroes, Dinoya Tesa Second, um, where she also assisted in the in the first season, uh, mm -hmm. Morose Mononokian, and Rio Rainbow Gate. Uh, Caitlin Barr's script writing, you would know from such shows as Angels of Death, Dances with Dragons, and Akame Ga Kill. Oh, that's actually a really good edgy list there. Yeah, I had, so we weren't a hundred percent sure who was hosting this, so I threw shit together <laughs> and I picked credits. And yes, those are some edgy shows that Caitlin Barr has has written for. <laughs> oh man, because because let's face it, who who better to write for an edgy show, right? <laughs> I mean, you can't get much edgier than a comic it kills, so. Yeah, not wrong, not wrong. Um, I mean... <laughs> yeah, so do you want to start us off? Because I've, I've spoken a lot and I need to take a sippy. <laughs> you have your sippy, it's fine. Um, what is there to really say about a Clifford Chapin-directed dub? Not a lot that hasn't been said before. <laughs> because Clifford Chapin has very much established himself as a solid director, um on all fronts, taking on small projects and big projects, and just knocking it out of the park. And even though Roots and I call this some trashy edgelord shit, Darwin's game is no exception to this. <laughs> like, you, 
this is uh, uh, this for the show this is this is a solid dub the casting is so much fun and rather diverse with actors and variety of fun roles <laughs> one of which jesus age christ i can only describe it as a gruff version of buggy the fucking clown and you'll understand why later on oh god uh, i know who you're talking you about you know exactly who and now you can't unsee it I right i can't no <laughs> i'm right right you're absolutely right holy shit <laughs> um but um clifford chapin has a very wonderful sense of character and source material that he he knows what the show can call for and make the the casting fit and work together which is great um and Brittany Lotta as the assistant Brittany has always been a wonderful assistant when she helps Clifford out a bit um so I have no qualms there Caitlin Barr had fun with the script it doesn't go because sometimes you can take a script for a show like this and you have one of two options. You can be as straightforward as humanly possible with it or you can completely ham the shit up and make it so utterly ridiculous for a show like this. And I think... It kind of, she, Caitlin kind of married it in between a little bit, but leaning more towards straightforward. Because there are fun moments and lines that were just utterly ridiculous, but I also think it might have something to do with the original Japanese. Like, I'm betting the joke about the line, let's start a family, was in the Japanese 100%. <laughs> oh, I don't, I don't doubt that. I don't doubt that. So... You would think that was a line, a throwaway line that Caitlyn just made cheesy and crazy, but no, I, I highly suspect something like that is almost a one-for-one one translation. <laughs> so she does, she has fun with the material, but she still keeps it straightforward and easy to understand throughout the course of the show, especially some of the weird game logic in this show, like. It's so stupid and insane. Like, oh god, it dri- it, it can drive me up a wall a little bit, the game logic for this show. But god bless her, she made it easy to understand. <laughs> 100%. But there were some gems, that gem of lines I really liked so much. One of them was, um, oh, I see you, Caitlin, on this one. You've made me an offer that I can't refuse. Ugh. You made me an offer that I can't refuse. I see you, Caitlin. <laughs> um, what are some other fun ones? Bust a cap was used at one point. Uh, and yeah, those are the other two notable lines that I actually wrote. But yeah, there was a lot of fun times. And boy, did they have fun cursing. <laughs> they have fun cursing in this show, which is great. Like, everybody says shit at some point in time. <laughs> everybody says it. No F-bombs, but that's fine. We don't need to go that crazy. Um, no, like, they had fun with this show. Which is exactly what you need when you go into an edgy show like this. <laughs> the show itself tries too hard, but the production on the dub's end of it, i.e. directing and the writing-wise, they had fun with it. They had fun with it and made it a 
great dub for a show that probably didn't need a great dub. <laughs> so kudos to uh, the ADR staff on this one. Nice. Um, so in all honesty, I I have to agree a lot with um, what was said here. Um, for for script writing, I I like that it's sort of it's one of those dubs that follows along with what you can assume the, um, the Japanese, the original source material was trying to get mm-hmm. at. Um, it doesn't feel like it strays too far away from that until it, until something absolutely ridiculous happens. Mm-hmm. And that, and which you would need an over-the-top reaction to it. Right. So, you know... We, we gotta make it fun somehow, right? Honestly, I think it was a good thing that you brought up a comic a kill, because... Mm-hmm. As probably one of a handful of people in Dub Talk who was actually able to watch it as it aired on Toonami... Yeah, I own that show. I just haven't... I tried watching it when it originally was airing in Japan, and I only got through, like, two or three episodes, and I was like, eh, I don't like it. I own it. I need to go back and watch it one of these days. Like, just that is... I did. A comic kill is absolutely edgelord trash. But at the same uh, time, the dub is made absolutely fun because it knows when to be serious and when to goof off. Mm-hmm. And that is absolutely the case here in Darwin's game. Um, it The show itself feels very paraphrased. Um, it, as, as Steph had mentioned, um, this series is actually ongoing. I don't know how much of the manga it ended up adapting. Uh, pacing itself is very brisk, as you would probably expect from an adaptation of a franchise that has been around for a while before it was decided mm-hmm. to be adapted into an anime. Yeah. Um, those kind of shows run the risk of getting the viewer lost. Mm-hmm. I mean, I could name a very big example that came out just not too long ago, um, Hakyu Hoshin Engi, where they basically decided to adapt a volume of the manga for every episode. And Is it was that a- the weird one that it starred Josh Greeley and had, like, a white dragon weird thing mascot thing? Yes. Gotcha. Okay, I never saw that one. Also, from- I heard it didn't exactly do very well. <laughs> no, and it's a shame, because it's from the guy who did the character designs from Shiki. Oh, sucky. Okay. Damn, I didn't know that. Or, or wrote, he, he was somehow involved with Shiki, if I recall correctly. Anyway, um, okay. thankfully, at the very least on the dub side, it was able to keep up with how things were moving in the adaptation, make sure everything was clear, understood. Because, yeah, the, it it's the kind of a show that you could easily get lost in. Um, so it, it does a very good job describing things. Uh, in terms of yeah, this direction, show can get ve- yeah, the show can get very convoluted at times. One hundred percent. In terms of direction, everything was punchy. Everything had 
sort of a kinetic energy to it. Um, performances were actually really good for a show like this. Um, mm-hmm. Honestly, I could also say that like the actual dub performances were actually pretty good in something like Future Diary, but... Uh, but that being said, uh, it knew when to be funny, it knew when to be serious. Uh, mm-hmm. So, all around, I really like... In terms of the technical side, I really liked it. Um, that being said, in the later episodes that were dubbed from home, mm-hmm. um, I will probably get into at least one example of it. Um, but there was some definite wonkiness with the recording equipment on one particular mm. character. Gotcha. But in terms of the dub on the technical side, again, um, this was very spot on, and I really liked it. Woohoo! Oh boy, the first squad <laughs> of characters! <laughs> ah! Oh man, can oh, we can we nickname this, is the one this that's squad? Gonna hurt. Can we nickname this squad the Dead Squad? <laughs> Please, can we nickname this squad the Dead Squad? The good because dead boys. The good dead boys, especially the purest one who did nothing wrong. Who really did, did nothing, nothing wrong. wrong? What the hell? What the hell, show? Um. Oh my god. So Kaname's friends. His friends. Oh, God. Do you want me to go through them? Sure. Okay. So, we have three um, of Kaname's friends. We have Hiroyuki Kyoda. Uh, we have Yuo uh, Shinozuka. And then we have someone just named Hamada. Um, <laughs> they're all- Spoiler just alert. a guy named Hamada. Spoiler alert, all three of these characters end up dying at some point in the show. Hamada bites it the first episode in the first not even five minutes. <laughs> like, he's By there a guy with and then a panda he's done. bear head who can turn invisible. That's the oh, fun part about this show. Everybody's got powers. Yep, everybody has powers. It's great. Um, Hamada dies in the first episode. His sigil, I believe, from briefly what we see, he it looks like he can control blades and metal because he was able to use box cutters essentially to attack like the, the, say, the box cutter pieces would split apart and then he can just fire them off basically can i just say the box cutter machine gun was absolutely badass that was i would oh my god if i was a if i was a, a sad sap who was involved with that game i would love that power granted i would also lose against bond jesus christ um kyota uh, he also dies in episode one. Um, and Kyoto's main purpose, I think, for that episode is to basically be partial exposition dump. And also a martyr, essentially, as motivation for Kaname. Um, his sigil, basically, he can see the aura of people. Um, and it looks like it's like a third, like, th- I don't know the correct term. Like, like, thermal reading. Like, you can see body heat and crap. That's yeah, what it looks like to me. Infrared, thank you. Um, that's what it looked like. And then, poor Shinozaki. Shinozuka. 
<laughs> this poor boy who did nothing wrong. So he managed to stay around for majority of the show until he's kidnapped by Wong and his clan, the Eighth Clan. Uh, and again, spoiler alert, he ends up dying uh, when Kaname tries to save him. He briefly becomes a player in Darwin's game. <laughs> Very briefly. And his sigil is basically a levitation type sigil. Where he can make things and people levitate. Uh, the individuals voicing these characters. Uh, I'm gonna start with... I'll start with Hamada. As Hamada, <laughs> we have our ADR director Clifford Chapin taking on this role. He has voiced characters such as... Oh god, I'm gonna murder this name. Shiage Hamazora in certain scientific, certain magical index and scientific railgun. Uh, Zan Zanadi Zandis, oh Jesus, it's been a hot minute. Zandis in the Heroic Legend of Ar Arslan, and Koto Fujisaki in Noragami Arigoto. Okay, uh, as Shinozuka, we have Chris George, who has voiced characters such as Lion in Africa, Africa Salaryman, Koji Tono in Cheer Boys, and Tetsuo Takahashi in Interviews with Monster Girls. And as for Kyoda, we have Kyle Phillips, who has voiced characters such as Wakashika in Invaded, Arata Samajina, wow, Arata Samajima in Prince of Stride Alternative, and Soigen Riku in The Silver Guardian. Roots, do you want to, since I started last time, do you want to go first with these ones? Yeah, I can do that. Okay. Um, so honestly... Neither of these three characters get to do too, too much over the course of the show. No, they're just kind of here to exist. <laughs> but like, they're, they're good just here boys to be good that... boys and, you they're know... They're good boys! <laughs> and then get fridged for the sake of the plot. Yup. Sake of the plot and sake of character motivation. For Kaname. <laughs> I mean... Cliff's a good actor, and he gets to play... Hamada really well for all of five minutes. <laughs> Legit, my first note for Cliff when my first note when I was watching Darwin's game again. This is my first note word for word. Cliff done die good. He <laughs> <laughs> uh, did a really good job being panicky. Yeah, uh, that's about all I can say. Yeah, it's very brief. He does pop in again a little. I think either later on in the same episode or in episode two for like a brief daydream kind of sequence, I think. But that's about it. Uh, and then Kyoto, basically, he's there to tell Kaname what was going on or give a basic overview because he, again, doesn't get to stick around very long. <laughs> Kyle serves as exposition dump slash martyr. And he's good exposition dump. Let's let's be real. Yes. For what this show is, he's good exposition dump. And until the show dumps on him. <laughs> Quite literally. Because, uh, yeah. Um, don't get attached to anyone in a death game show. No. Don't do it. No, you don't. You never should. It, uh... It will always lead you to a bad time. It will never end well. All roads lead to death and heartache. It, this is the Attack on Titan logic coming in here. Don't attach yourself to any characters. But you know... You, you, will, you will end up betrayed. I, I gotta say, the one that hurt me the most was Shinazuka oh and Chris George. God. 
Because he is such yep, a good, I, I... gentle boy. He and did he... nothing wrong, and then he just gets involved because Wong is a vengeful asshole. That's basically it. Like, the only reason he's in Darwin's game is to survive. Mm-hmm. And then they pull a... Then they pull a seven on him. And I and I's a sad boy. What's in the box? Fuck. I can't even What's that in seriously. the box? <laughs> oh, God. Oh, poor, poor Shinozuka. Oh my god, this poor boy. He's just so innocent, and he's just minding his own business. Like, oh god. For one thing, he gets his fingers chopped off before Mm -hmm. anything, before the the rescue attempt on him even happens. Yep. And he just gets his momentary, like, surge of will to live to the point where he... Uses his tongue to use a cell phone to activate Darwin's game. You'd think he's gonna be okay. And then Wong brings I, out the box. And I you got, know. I got my hopes up. I got my hopes up so much. And then Wong was saying, like, oh no, I already let him go. Like, it, I let him go a while ago. He's right, he's actually closer than you think. And then Kaname turns around and I see the box. I'm like, you bastard. <laughs> I'm like, you bitch. And this is why everybody so hates mad. Wong. He's an asshole. I was so mad. And, like... Oh, my God. Chris George plays him as such a good boy. <laughs> he doesn't deserve oh this. God. He doesn't. I'm I'm going to pass we it gotta, on to you because I, make... I like these performances for, for oh the good boys God. who had to be fed into the meat grinder. <laughs> Quite literally. Oh, God. Um, I already kind of gave my brief thoughts on Cliff's performance. He done died good. <laughs> um, no, I... He done died good. There's not a much... There's not a shit ton to say about Hamada. Um, like, he, he, despite the small, little amount of screen time that this character had, he definitely portrayed that sense of urgency and panic and fear very, very well, and it was a lot of fun, and I... For a brief second, was rooting for Hamada, and then Bonda fucking straight up slit his throat, and then by Hamada. Um, also, fuck you, Hamada, for dragging Kaname into this mess in the first place. <laughs> that, it's your fault. We should probably also bring that up because it is yep. very much because um, oh yeah, because when Hamada is against Bonda, and he's running away, and he's like, "Who should I get to help?" And I completely missed this the first time. He's like, should I get Kyoto? No, I can't involve him in this. And then he thinks of Kaname, who is not playing this game at this point. And he's like, I'm going to call him for help. And he sends the game to Kaname. Uh, So yeah, so if Hamada didn't do that, Kaname could have just been on his merry little way. Because Kyoto did not want him to touch that button (laughs) and play the game. Kyoto tried to keep him from doing it, so fuck you. He knew better. Fuck you, Hamada. Fuck you, Hamada. (laughs) You asshole. I know you're a plot device, but you asshole. Um, I mean, at least Kyoto tried. Yeah, Kyoto tried. And um, speaking of Kyoto, for Kyle, I think this is... I think he used his more natural register of his voice for this role. uh, Which works, because his natural register works, I think, for these types of these type of younger but slightly mature characters 
because that's what Kyoto is for a brief second. He's he's a high schooler, but um, he he probably is the most mature out of the friend group, and almost maybe to the extent of the leader of the friend group, in a way. I'm just guessing the dynamics of their friend group, but um, but I did I did feel for him a little bit when he's sitting in the garage and he's lost a lot of blood and he's gonna fucking die and he's just reaching out to Kaname and he's all sad. I'm like, oh, Jesus. Oh, poor sweetie. <laughs> poor sweetie. <laughs> I did feel for him on that. Um, Shinozuka did nothing wrong. He absolutely did nothing wrong. <laughs> Shinozuka deserves better. Like, justice for Shinozuka right now. <laughs> Um, Chris George did very well to play a sweet and pure meatloaf too good and pure for this earth. That's basically the summary of this this performance, because Shinozuka, even though he's in the show a lot longer than the other two characters, he also isn't there as much as the other two characters are. They're about the same, because Chris is in the first couple of episodes, and then you don't see him again, really, until the last third of the show where he's kidnapped. Um, but I did, in, I did like the, again, the same with Cliff as Hamada, uh, the sense of urgency that Chris portrays, the sense of fear, and, um, it, it works so, so well, and then the little glimmer of hope he has, and determination, I felt that so hard, I'm like, oh, please live, please live, and then, of course, fuck you, Wong. Um, no, but... <laughs> Even though all three of these performances are very short and very brief, all three of them were portrayed very, very well, and I did enjoy them. They did exactly what they were supposed to do, which is give either an introduction to the show, give us some exposition to in the in, in to what's going on, and or um, give massive character motivation to the lead character. So. Considering what the purpose of these characters were, they did very well. Nice. Uh, so next up, in terms of our Fuck. characters. <laughs> oh, yes. We're going to talk about... Oh, boy. Dark, dark Buggy the Clown. <laughs> um, we have... These three were sort of, when they were first introduced, they're more antagonistic bodies mm-hmm. in terms of what the show wants to do, and, um, two of them actually don't turn out to be quite so bad. The third mm. one, on the other hand... The third one is an asshole. Oh boy! And you can also say, and then you could say two of these also fucking bite it. One of them fucking deserved it. Yeah! And the other one was a bit too much of a cinnamon roll in the end. Even though he was also kind of a bastard at first. This show's weird like that. Are we talking about Inukai? Are you referring to Inukai? Are you talking about Hiragi? Uh, Hiragi. Okay, yep, I can agree with that. So let's, um... Let's throw the, um... Sort of foreshadowing aside and introduce our little group of antagonists here. Mm -hmm. Um, First of all, we have Inukai, who is uh, a member of a sort of dojo of Sigil users... Uh, I think he's the Donjo Boxing Club. That's the Donjo Boxing Club. To. Thank you. Um, his sigil is basically to punch very hard. 
No. I thought his sigil was basically to fucking be Quicksilver. <laughs> oh, that's right. It is basically a... That's him. No, it's no, the other I think guy. It's the, it's guy the other guy from the Eighth, okay. yeah. It's the other guy from the Eighth. But no, Inokai's is basically making him Quicksilver, even with the goggles. <laughs> 100%. He can run very fast, and I, I guess yeah. I can make him kind of punch hard, because he has velocity behind him. That's true. That works. See... You just kind of have to roll with it. Anyway. Yep. With the show, you gotta roll with it. You gotta roll with the punches. Oh, um, shit. We also have Ichiro Hiragi. Uh, he is a bit more of an antagonistic force in the big, um, in the big ring hunt game. Mm -hmm. It's complicated, and it takes up, like, half of the show. Yeah. But it's also absolutely fun, because it gets, it gets everybody using creative powers. Anyway. And it also gets us our other three big characters for um, our main character's clan. So Right. Uh, Ichiro Hiragi has the power to manipulate plant life. Mm -hmm. um, he basically uses this to take over a hotel tower. Uh, he also just absolutely gets to go out like a badass. Oh, 100%. 100%. For some reason, Wikipedia lists Hiragi as part of the Sunset Ravens. I guess technically he was one for a brief period of time, even though it wasn't officially clan. Um, but yeah, that's a thing. And then we have Wong. Then Fuck there's Wong. this. Then there's this asshole. Fuck Wong. <laughs> Fuck him. So bad. Fuck this guy. Um, oh, his man. sigil gives him the ability to basically teleport about mm -hmm. a distance between 3 and 10 meters. Yeah. No, not really. Uh, but he has a bunch of goons. Um, he kills a lot of people. TLDR. Fuck Wong. Fuck Wong. Blah, blah, blah. I can talk today. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so he's the leader of the 8th clan. They do a lot of bad things over the course of the show. And mm -hmm. eventually he gets his just desserts. Thank God this dude's an asshole. <laughs> Fuck this guy. Uh, this so, so Inukai is played by Anthony Bowling. Uh, Hiragi is played by Chris Waycamp. And Wong by Mike McFarland. <laughs> oh, boy! <laughs> oh, I'm excited about this one. <laughs> um, Anthony Bowling, you would know from such performances as Seiya in Cautious Hero. Uh, Shiro Ashia in The Devil is a Part-Timer, one of my personal favorites, and mm -hmm. Manabu Sakuma, a.k.a. Akuma from Ping Pong the Animation, another one of my personal favorites. That's why I picked it, because <laughs> we both love Ping Pong, and Anthony Bowling is an underrated performance in that show. Go Absolutely. fucking watch Ping Pong. Go fucking watch Ping Pong the Animation, it's amazing. Now, Christopher Wakecamp, you would know as Takehisa Hinawa in Fire... Uh, I was about to say Fire Emblem. Uh, Fire Force. <laughs> yes. He, yeah, Hinawa is in Fire Emblem as another dad. Well, you know, as at Fire the rate Fire Emblem goes through male voice actors, I would not be surprised if Christopher... Chris Wakecamp ends up in the franchise at some point. I would love that shit. That'd be amazing. Let's go. I can apparently talk. <laughs> we can uh, talk anyway, sometimes he is the master in Kakurio. oh boy you gave me a fun one to try to pronounce 
<laughs> I want to hear you try it. I want to hear you try it. Bruno von Glansreich in Royal Teeter. You got it. Hey, hey. You three did years it of on German the first finally try. did some good. Woohoo! <laughs> oh, shit. Uh, Mike McFarland, you would know as Deldro in Blood Blockade Battlefront. Brittany in Grimgar Ashes and Illusions. And of course, <laughs> Buggy the Clown in One Piece. I had to do it! I, I had mean, to. you're not wrong to do so. No! Oh, shit! Alright, so why don't you get this little villain party started? Oh, boy. I'm gonna start... I'll start with Anthony Bowling on this one. Um, because... Oh, Jesus. Me hitting things with my my watch. Um, I'll start with Anthony Bowling on this one because he doesn't have as big of a role compared to the other two characters. Um, out of the three, Inukai is probably the least antagonist, antagonistic of the, the trio here. <clears throat> because we get a brief introduction to him right before the Treasure Hunt event starts. And he tries to face Kaname because he's like, I wanna, I wanna see what he's like, that kind of horseshit. And, um, then later on, he actually becomes a good ally to them. Um, and Kaname's clan. <laughs> Anthony Bowling is so much fun. I love, like, it's interesting how things go for actors in their careers. Like, the first big major thing I ever remember for this podcast talking about for with Anthony Bowling was Ultimate Otaku Teacher, <laughs> where he was the lead of this of that one. And, like, my, have we come a long way since then. Not saying Junichiro is, was bad. That was a fun-ass character. And that was the launching pad I think he definitely deserved. Um, <clears throat> but Inukai it can be snarky. He can be sassy as shit. He can also be very aggressive. <laughs> like, they, there are small moments where... Anthony Bowling has to be this menacing, threatening person. Not towards Kaname, because in his encounter with Kaname, he's more, a little bit more snarky, sassy, like, cocky kind of attitude. It's the fight he has with, um, I think the character's Keiichi. I think. Let me go scroll down. Keiichi, yep. He's the one who works for the 8th and can basically punch very good um and that's the one where you have a brief very brief moment where anthony bowling has to be menacing and very aggressive and there specifically there was this one moment where he was like very very gruff and lower pitched i'm like oh shit <laughs> i didn't i've never seen anthony bowling go like that aggressive and menacing before i've never seen it happen <laughs> and holy shit do i want to see more of it because <laughs> like i don't I, I never get to see anthony bowling as a villain type role i want to see anthony bowling as a villain type role because i think he can fucking do it <laughs> i really do like it's small moments like that that make me want to hear more of it because I get very curious as to what they're very that what they're capable of. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So, 
I really did like Anthony Bowling as Inukai a lot. Um, Curse Way Camp as Hiragi. Um, he also had to have those similar moments as Inukai has. A little bit more because he is a major antagonistic role when the tournament starts. Oh, not the tournament. This is basically a fucking tournament arc is what the treasure hunt is. Oh my fucking god. Yeah! God damn it! I just realized this. Oh no! Uh, this is now going to be referred to as the tournament in my brain. And if it slips out as the tournament, I am not sorry. Um, he has to play an antagonistic role at the start of the event. Excuse me. And he has to portray that antagonistic role a lot longer. Um, at least for a few episodes. And I also really liked the the menace he gives off and the presence he has. Also the cunning that he has to give off. Because Hiragi, he is a very smart individual. He has a lot of wit and... Um, intelligence to him and strat and he's very strategical too because he hides in the security room and uses his little his little goon squad that he basically zombifies to <laughs> hunt down anybody in the building so he's he is smart he's very intelligent but after that and he joins up with Kaname and Rain he he still has to be this force in his presence, but he also ease, gets to ease up a little bit. Um, and we get to see a different side of Hiragi, too. Oh my god, you were absolutely correct when you said he went out like a badass. Yeah! Because when the 8th invade the hotel, and Hiragi basically fights off all of the goons, essentially, he makes the building cave in on everything. He takes the whole fucking thing down with him. Yep. Knowing he's not going to survive. But this is also after he gets attacked by two of the strongest members of the 8th clan. And basically gets mortally wounded. So he knows he's not going to live. And it's in those moments that are a bit more quiet and subtle. But he also... It, he's also accepted his fate at this point. Like he 100% knows he's not going to live. And he's just... He's still being... I would call it completely savage and describing... <laughs> How plant life rules over animals, essentially. And it's just so captivating seeing that, like, little minute of soliloquy monologue happening here. And it's just like, oh, man, hell yes. He's going out like a true champion. <laughs> MVP, Hiraki. Um, and every bit of the character, I really love the portrayal that Chris Wickham gave. Oh, sweet baby Jesus. <laughs> I said earlier, there was a character that I can only describe as a gruff Buggy the Clown. <laughs> this is why. <laughs> this is why. And the, if you watch Darwin's game and you get to Wong and you get to hear Mike McFarlane's portrayal of it, you cannot tell me otherwise. This tone and crazy personality is very reminiscent of Buggy the Clown. It's just the motivations are motivations and at least the tone of the voice are what's different here. Because Wong is a bit more gruff, a bit more, a lot more menacing and threatening. Um, while granted, I am so far behind on One Piece as a preface to this. While Buggy the Clown can be 
kind of threatening and menacing at times. But he's also a bit of a jokester, and he has that stupid clown laugh and stuff like that. But it's the same type of voice, just different in the tone and different in the motivation and the characteristics, I think. <coughs> but it works so well. Because, like, seeing Mike go crazy any given day of the week... Oh, I love that shit. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, you can't tell me that this is not one of the one of the better performances of the show because he just nails every moment and every beat and every bit of like aggression that Wong has. And he's so maniacal. He's such an evil. He's a snake. I wrote a note in here that Wong is basically a fucking slimy ass snake. That's this character right here in a nutshell. And Mike just delivers on it. I imagine that Mike probably had so much fun recording this. <laughs> oh, I'm sure he did. Oh my god. Because it's, it's almost like revisiting Buggy the Clown, except you put a different spin on it. <laughs> 100%. I don't and know Mike... anybody who wouldn't have fun playing a character like no! Wong. No! No! I think... Who had said it once before in a, in a convention that I heard? I think it was Eric Vale. I went to a panel of Eric Vale's, I think, and it was Anime Boston, like, years ago. And someone had asked what his favorite types of roles are, or that he's voiced, or that he wishes he can voice. He's like, I want to voice a villain. Voicing villains is a lot of fun. <laughs> and I, I, like, I 100% believe that with Mike McFarlane here <laughs> as Wong. Like, this is probably the most fun I've seen Mike have in a long time, I think. I mean, not saying he doesn't have fun in other shows, but god damn it. I would imagine voicing a villain is just so much fun. It's stupid enjoyment. But yeah, like, this, <laughs> as much of an asshole Wong is, Mike nails every piece of this, and it's probably one of my favorite performances in the whole show, in all honesty, mm -hmm. because of that. <laughs> I'm done. <laughs> Fuck you, Wong. <laughs> Fuck you, you asshole. I love you. No, I don't love Wong. I love Mike McFarlane as Wong. That's what I should say. There we go. There it is. Done. Alright, so Anthony Bowling as Inukai. Um, I really like the fact that it was incredibly kinetic. Mm-hmm. Um, this performance just... It is bounding off the walls with energy. Yep. From the time he is introduced to his big fight scene against the Eighth Clan, it is just... He is loud, he is bombastic, and he can get some solid hits in. Mm-hmm. Um, unfortunately, that's really about all I can say about it, because um, him and another character we'll get into the next segment... Yeah. Kind of compose what I like to call the Read the Damn Manga Squad. Yeah, Inokai would definitely fall under that. Like uh, he, Inokai seems like he'd be a prominent character later on, 100%. Unfortunately, the character doesn't get to be developed too, too much. Because mm -hmm. I'm assuming in later arcs of the manga, he'll play a bit more of a prominent role. Unless yeah, he gets killed off or something. I, you yeah. never know. Oh, Star Wars game. It's Darwin. I hope not, but it is Darwin's game. No, yeah, because Sunset Ravens did align themselves with the Donjo Boxing Club, so um, I 
Yeah, 100% I bet Inokai would have a more prominent role later on. Uh, but what we get of this character is, like, absolutely fun. Um, I like listening mm-hmm. to it. Uh, Anthony Bowling gives a great sort of sarcastic performance. It's so fun. He's such a sassy bitch. Um, Chris Wakecamp gets to play the cunning strategist, and it is bone-chilling. Mm-hmm. Um, I love it. He, um, he thinks everything through maybe a little too much. Because uh, he is basically outwitted in the end by, um, by Kaname. Hey, Kaname yeah. uh, basically using his tendencies against him. Mm-hmm. Uh, until they parlay and he ends up helping them out to um, figure out the secret of the rings. And then he has to go down like a badass. Can I also say, because this wasn't brought up yet, I don't think, his motivation for playing Darwin's game is just the purest thing in yeah, the world. Yeah, because isn't it his, world. Um, his daughter? Yes, it's his daughter who has um, like a severe heart condition who's in the hospital. So he's yeah, playing I mean, the game to get money to help her. That is, If that's a, not a pure motivation, I don't know what the fuck is. Yeah, and since Kaname really isn't in this for the money, they're basically able to parlay something out mm-hmm. when they finally encounter one another. Yep. And I thought that was... Like, their interactions were really cool as long as they lasted. Yeah, 100%. But yeah, um, he gets to take a building down with him. Like, holy shit. MVP right there, Hiragi. MVP. I'm. Uh, you can't. You can't tell me no. You can't tell me no. <laughs> like, other than one other really badass thing that happens in the show that we'll get to with her segment. Mm-hmm. Um, this is play of the game. <laughs> oh yes, one hundred percent. Um, yeah, it's great. But um. Holy fuck, Mike McFarlane. Holy fuck. <laughs> See, most people wouldn't assume, wouldn't believe that this is Mike McFarlane and that he's capable of this. And then it's like, dude, watch One Piece. He's Buggy the fucking clown. Like, this is... Like, oh, God. This is Buggy the clown. Mm-hmm. Is sort of that... Sort of the, the temper and the... Yes. And the cadence of the of the buggy the clown voice, yes, one hundred percent it is. But you, he absolutely gets to play with it in a way that he oh isn't. I don't think Toei would allow him to do for One Piece. No, one hundred percent. Because Wong is one hundred percent fucking batshit. Oh God, like. <laughs> Like, this man, this man is an asshole to the nth degree. <laughs> like, he, he will kill literally anyone who gets in his way. Like, mm-hmm. even probably his own subordinates who would piss him off. Like, boom, head gone. Oh, yeah. No. You're like, done. You, like, you can sense that with the presence that the character has, that he is n- not against killing his own men. For not listening or anything. Like, you can really sense that. Not just in the character, but I think in the performance as well. 
Yeah. And, um, one thing that kind of... It kind of falls under the radar, but... Wong's laugh. Mm. <laughs> it is just deliciously hammy. Oh my god. I mean, he really, does, the whole performance is deliciously hammy. He, Mike knows how to chew the scenery a bit. Because, I mean, he's used to it with Buggy the Clown, but this also doesn't chew the scenery in a way that it does it, that, like, it, it's overkill hammy. Right. You know what I mean? Because, like, I mean... It's, it's still menacing. I'm pretty sure Mike McFarlane, like, more so than, like, anime dub acting. Like, he is a stage actor. Mm-hmm. And you definitely get that stage presence with Wong. Yes. He has a very, very big presence. You can sense it, like, a mile away. Because <laughs> you, uh, you can definitely go way too far with a character like Wong. And it would mm -hmm. absolutely be to the detriment of everything around it. So, yep. having a stage actor like Mike McFarlane in a role like Wong's, um, it allows the other actors around him to shine. Yep. And he still yeah, gets to he... be an absolutely batshit sadist. At the same time. <laughs> I fucking love this performance. So, overall, I think the villains of this show are just an absolute blast. This is why you watch a show like Darwin's Game. Oh, 100%. Like, and to the credit to not just Mike, but I think to Cliff as well. Because this Wong's the kind of character that if you make it too hammy, you're gonna lose that menace. You're gonna lose the purpose of that character by just making him yes. a fucking ham and cheese type of villain. And you never get that with the performance. So, I think kudos to both Mike and to Cliff on the directing front for this one. And you know, a reference I would make in terms of Mike McCarlin's performance as Wong, mm -hmm. um, it's actually... Alan Rickman as Hans Gruber in Die Hard. Mm. Yeah, okay. Because Alan Rickman, while he was still around, may he rest in peace, um, he was able to act around people. He, mm -hmm. Like, he could act circles around other actors. Yep. And he was able to restrain himself in Die Hard just enough that he is an absolute blast as Hans Gruber. He absolutely um, he absolutely gets to play against Bruce Willis really well. Mm -hmm. And sort of in that same sense, Mike McFarland is Wong and the actor who we will get to here in a minute who plays Kaname. Mm. Um, yep. Like, they have really great interactions with each other and it and while they don't get to play their roles in the same room at the same time, it definitely feels like it. So, overall, the villains of the show were absolutely fun. Absolutely bombastic. Uh, again, this is a reason why you watch a show like Darwin's Game. Yep. So, 
I'm just really glad that they were played to the degree that they were played. So, thumbs up, guys. You did good. Yay. Uh, I think we're, we want to move on to the next set, I guess, of characters. Yeah. Okay, so next we got the majority, I say majority because we're going to save two people for last, uh, majority of the Sunset Ravens clan. It's a little bit of a mishmash clan that kind of comes together um, through the treasure hunt event in the game, um, and we have four individuals for this one. So we have Rain Kashawagi, uh, who is also known as the Analyst. She's an information broker in who buys and sells information about Darwin's game to other players. Um, her sigil, Laplace's La Demon, is... Oh, that's also a fun one, by the way. Is more yes. of an analytical... Is more of an analytical sigil, where she can just basically process information and, and all this fun stuff. And the baseline you know, of it, too, is she can use it to predict movement as well which is actually yeah i i got a lot of similar vibes to her as let's say rat from juni tyson oh 100 percent. yeah this that would that's a pretty good comparison um oh jesus i think my autocorrect is some fucked up shit we have we have ryuji mayasaka who um we also meet in the treasure hunt event, he big burly boy, uh, but also sweet, <laughs> sweet and adorable. In his own weird way. In his own weird way, he's antagonistic at first for like a hot minute, um, but then after the incident with Hiragi and he's released and everything, he joins with Kaname, uh, mostly to take down Wong because he he was a, he originally started playing the game with his younger brother for money and then his brother died at the hands of Wong and his men so he's out for vengeance um his sigil basically is a lie detector he can tell when people tell truths and pe- when people lie to him it's basically what his is he he thinks it's like he he refers to it as not a special thing <laughs> at all um and then we have Sui and Sota now this one's an interesting one Sui and Sota are two individual people that inhabit one body. <laughs> they oh, these are, are always fun. Oh, we have a dual personality. Um, Sui is the younger twin. Um, Sota is the older twin. And they basically switch personalities on and off throughout the whole course of the show. Um, their sigil, it's technically two sigils. So Sui's sigil, Palay Light, allows you to recruit control water, while Sota's is called Caster Light, allowing him to free- freeze things. So they kind of go hand in hand with each other. And then we have, I'm going to butcher this name. Joylin? Yeah, I think Louis- it's... Joylin. Lee Joylin. Lee Joylin. Thank you. Um, she... We kind of see her briefly in the early parts of the show, but she doesn't really come prominently until after the treasure hunt event where oh sweet baby Jesus this woman um she kidnaps Kaname and tells him hey I want you to help me make an heir to my family of assassins it's like what (laughs) Um, you're gonna make my babies this is like have my babies 
<laughs> it turns very weird. Um, oh my god, I love you. Have my babies. Shut <laughs> up. <laughs> Shut up. Um, Cameo appearance by one Mr. Andrew. Again. <laughs> but, um... She basically ends up joining Sunset Ravens after getting defeated in a clan battle um, with the Sunset Ravens. And she doesn't really appear anymore after that. But she is officially a Sunset Raven, so we're going to talk about her, I guess. Um, as for who's voicing these characters as Rain, we have Tia Ballard, who has voiced characters as... And this is where I think my autocorrect fucked me over. Sanae Kashimura in Alice in Zoroku. You... you Koita in Bloom into You or Kaito Probably Yo Koito. Andrew. That sounds about right. Tia Ballard's character in Bloom into You. What's her name? Uh You Koito? Thank you. Oh, it is you. Okay. Just catch just making sure because my autocorrect decided to be a bitch. And Hajime Shinoda in New Game. As Ryuji, we have Jared Green, who's portrayed characters such as Mikhail Manfred in the Ancient Megas Bride, Young in Gangsta, and Rock in Nanbaka. As the twins, Sui and Sota, they are portrayed by Brittany Lauda, who has voiced characters such as Yuzuriha Ogawa. Ogawa. You never hear their last names in the fucking show in Dr. Stone. Rico in Made in Abyss, and Misa Kusakari in Tokyo Ghoul Re. And as Joelon, we have our scriptwriter, Caitlin Barr, who has voiced characters such as Natsumi in Data Life 3, Melda Dietz from Star Blazer Space Battleship Yamato 2199, and Maria von Messina in Wise Man's Grandchild. Okay. Um, I guess we'll start with uh, Lee Joelon. Because uh, mainly, once again, she's a member of the Read Di- She's a member of the Read the Damn Manga Club. Yep. Uh, she does not get to do much. Um, she's mainly at the party with all the big wigs during the um, during the rain game, and she wins too the betting game. That was funny. Uh, where she is basically a big wig. Um, mm-hmm. She talks with Steve Jobs for a bit. <laughs> no, she never talked to him. Oh, she didn't. No, she never did. She talked to a completely different bigwig. No, it was... Oh, gotcha. Okay. It was either a completely different bigwig or her butler, who we're not talking about right now. One of the two. She gets a couple comments in during the the big party with the bigwigs. Um, But her real... Her real major appearance is, like, episode nine? Eight or nine? Nine. Um... Where she just basically gets the entire episode to herself and has Kaname kidnapped in a car, basically telling him she wants his babies. Can I just say Shuka coming in and saying, like, she didn't molest you, did she? Kaname just casually, like, no, she almost did, though. Can I just say that was good? I like that. Because she legit almost molested him. It's like... And she also just gives off the... You bitch vibes. Oh my god. It's one of those things where you have to go to Joylon and be like, Hey, no. Uh, hey. Hey there, don't you dare. This is my no-no square. (laughs) If you've ever heard of that (laughs) fucking joke before. (laughs) This is my no-no square. (laughs) If you've ever heard that before. (laughs) No, I've never heard that before. Oh 
my god, I gotta find you a good example of that. It's so um, good. But she... She just gives off this really great sort of... She has an air of dangerous charisma to her. Mm-hmm. Um, just in that episode that she fights with the, um, with the Twilight Ravens. Um, it, it's great. Unfortunately, there's not really much more I can say, because there's not much more to it. Yeah. Again, uh, this is likely a read-the-manga character. Brittany Lotta! Oh my god. <laughs> oh my god. Oh my god, Brittany! <laughs> Um, oh, this is we want to talk about absolutely magnificent. Because <laughs> um, on the one side, you have Swee, who's this really shy, timid little girl. Um, she is very scared to use her sigil. She is just generally squeaky and afraid of everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and then she's bullied by Soda. Soda is like, so it's aggressive. Great. Soda is so aggressive. Soda's a little shit gremlin. He is. He's a gremlin child. Uh, their mean, voice is very when, gravelly. I mean, it is very... I was say, wouldn't you uh, turn into a sh- bullying shit gremlin if you had to share your, like, magically appear in your sister's body for some fucking reason? I mean... Because so does the dead there. one. So does the dead one out of the two. Um, but yeah, Soda is gravelly, abrasive. Mm-hmm. Um, doesn't really get along with anyone. And um, the two of them combined are sort of a complicated character. And Brittany Lotta is great as the both of them. Um, I have a lot of respect for her because she's able... She's basically able to play both of these characters... Pretty much interchangeably. Mm-hmm. And both of them are wonderful. Both of them are can be hilarious when they need to be. Right. And let's be real. Um, Jared Green is actually a surprising cinnamon roll in this show. He is! <laughs> he really is. I mean, he's a bit of an asshole when you first meet him. Yep. And... Jared did a uh, great job with the asshole side of him. Mm-hmm. Uh, but a few episodes in, after he's able to parlay with Kaname... Yep. He is looking out for Kaname's best interest, because, let's be real, Kaname interests him. Mm-hmm. And he turns into a general good boy, and Jared Green as good boys is great. Yep. I think out of the Sunset Ravens, we don't know Shwailan's age, I don't think, but I think Ryuji is the oldest out of the Sunset Ravens. I can believe that. I mean, we brought we brought up Grimgar before, and since Jared Green was the greatest cinnamon role of Grimgar. Yep. Moguzo. It's it's just it's just great. I, I love it. <laughs> Just yes. Just yes. More cinnamon. Slightly uh, aggressive Tia... cinnamon roll, but it works. And Tia Ballard's reign is just the right balance of sarcasm mm-hmm. with sort of an analytical 
Like, she... She knows the best path forward, and if you don't follow it, she's gonna sass you. Yep. Um, you will, it's you great. will get a strong sassin by her. You'll get a strong sassin by this 13-year-old girl. Yep. Uh, Raina's a sassy 13-year-old. Um, mm-hmm. Tia Ballard plays a sassy... plays a sassy 13-year-old really well. Um... I'm trying to think of a moment that I really endeared to her. Mm-hmm. Uh, because largely, she isn't particularly antagonistic to Kaname pretty much at all. Right. Um, she basically understands from the beginning, the second she's dropped into uh, Shibuya for the game, um, she's not going to win on her own. So she allies with the closest person around her. Mm-hmm. To give her an edge in the game, and that is basically how the Sunset Ravens forms. Yeah, it kind of starts. It starts technically with Kaname and Shuka wanting to form a clan, and then it kind of goes from there. Just accidental right. allies, basically. I mean, you're not wrong there. Yeah. But I do like that initial parlay, now that I think of it, between um, Kaname and Rain. Mm hmm. Because uh, it shows. That Rain has a very... She is very intelligent. But she is also willing to... Um, she's also willing to basically be incredibly sassy if she can't get what she needs out of you initially. Yep. So, overall, I, I think the Sunset Ravens uh, and their dub actors are a great group. So, thumbs up. Yay. Uh, a lot of the performances of these major characters are gonna have the sim- similar notes as calm, cool, and collected customers. With the Pretty exception much. of, with the exception of Sui, though. <laughs> um, Joelon, I'll start with her. Um, she's in there for a brief moment of time, but boy, howdy, just. <laughs> Kaylin make it just so much fun as this tough as nails, very determined character. Like, bitch, you're gonna have my kid. We're gonna, you're gonna give me an heir so that way I can continue my assassin's line. <laughs> like, what? <laughs> oh, forgot to mention, Shuilan is the top player in Darwin's game. Yeah, that's kind she of important. Is the too. top player in the game. That is kind of important. <laughs> um, but yeah. Caitlyn has a tough as nails character, very determined. She does have a bit of snark and sass to her, especially when she bounces off of Shuka. Oh boy. <laughs> when she bounces off of Shuka, it's so much fun. Um, but there's not there's, there's not a ton, a ton to say about Zhuilan, um, because she's really only there for that one episode, even though she's in throughout the show. But, um... But yeah, it's uh, <laughs> Caitlin has a lot of fun with it. Um, S- Brittany is sweet, sweet and Sota. Oh boy, um, she has to basically portray two characters in one body, and it's she. It's not. I feel like it's not a voice for Sui and a voice for Sota. They have one voice, 
but it's different versions of that voice. Because these two characters inhabit this one body. And that distinction is made very, very clear with Britney's performance. Because, like, you described it. Sui is very quiet, very shy, very, like, terrified and scared of everything. And that's Sui. And then Sota is very, like, aggressive and loud and just like, ha, that kind of thing. Not that laugh, but you know what I mean. (laughs) But, um, she's able to make two distinctive vocal choices to determine these, the twins apart, but she still manages to kind of meld similar vocal characteristics to make them come out of this one body. So, it's, it's, that in and of itself is very challenging, um, and I have to give Britney kudos to that. I will admit there were points, at least early on in the performance, that it was a smidge, smidge grating. Just a smidge. I think mostly on Sui's part, but only just a smidge. Um, but she was still so, so much fun, um, and she probably had one of the more difficult tasks in the whole show by portraying these two characters as one person. And, yeah, like, it worked very, very well, honestly. <laughs> oh, Jared Green, this precious cinnamon roll, too good and pure for this earth. Um, Ryuji is, you're correct, he is a precious cinnamon roll. <laughs> but a more precious, aggressive cinnamon roll. Um... Because, yeah, he's a bit of in a, a my, very, very minor antagonistic role at the start of the Treasure Hunt event. And then he kind of works with them, and you then learn about his motivations, everything like that. I think what really, really sold me with Jared. Because I've, I've loved Jared's performances in a lot of shows for a long time now. Like, it's the same thing with Anthony Bowling. Like, I can remember the first really, really big standout role that we've covered here on Dub Talk, that being Ultimate Otaku Teacher again. And he's come a long way since then. And Sage your own anatomy. Um, but um this role in particular, it had the right amount of aggression and slight vengeful attitude because he does want revenge against Wong for what he did to his younger brother. One hundred percent. That was one of that was his main motivation. Like, he joined the game with his brother originally because they needed some money, but the main motivation after the fact was just getting his revenge on Wong. That was it. And he got it, which is good for him. But I think what really sold me for... What sold me and endeared me to the performance the most for Jared was the scene at the train station where he is held... Basically held at essentially knife point I guess by Wong and uh, he's about to kill him and he's having this inter- these internal thoughts while Kaname's trying to pull a huge ash- ass bluff on Wong of where the real treasure is and he's just like what are you doing Kaname like internally he's like this isn't gonna work he's not gonna fall for it and then just the realization when, because again, his sigil is a lie detector. So when Kaname says the words, you can do whatever you want with him, I only just met him. I don't care. That realization that he 100% sees this as a lie. 
is just I love that because that's just that little turn for him. And he's like, okay, fuck it. We're going to play this game. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And it just makes, it made me endear to the character and the performance so much more after that. Um, But Jared, I I love Jared Green as an actor. He's done such a phenomenal job in recent years. So much so he plays one of my anime children. He's one of my son's good old Shinzo in my hero. Um, but no, this is a fun performance here too. It's just the right amount of aggressive. It's just the right amount of vengeful. But it's also just the right amount of soft-spoken, sweet, um, and caring individual. And then Tia is rain is very calm, very cool, very calculated, very intelligent, like you were saying. And she, she's a sassy bitch sometimes. <laughs> Mm-hmm. It's like when you have a 13-year-old middle schooler giving you sass. <laughs> you fucked up. <laughs> like, you done goofed. But, um... I, I love Tia's portrayal of it. And I know you were saying you were thinking of a scene of when you were, you were really endeared to the performance. I loved it from start to finish, but I think the high point for Tia's performance for me... Again, I'm gonna bring it back to Shibuya Station, where she's hiding in like some some kind of supply closet, and she's trying to figure out and solve the mystery of where this actual treasure is. And she goes basically into the inner thoughts um, of Laplace to try and sort things out. And I just think that part of her performance was so hauntingly beautiful because it's just like she's. Imagery-wise, it's basically her, like, diving into this deep, dark, vast ocean, essentially. And as the deeper she goes, it just seems like it's so wistful and calming, like these ocean waves, and you can't help but be swept away by it the whole time. It's honestly one of the more beautiful sequences, I think, in the whole show. And Tia nails that very beautifully it's such a haunting moment and and it's ah you can't help but love it but um no tia as sassy snarky 13 year old because it's not like savage like oh no you didn't kind of deal it's very subtle (laughs) it's a subtle sassy savagery that you can't help but fall in love with from her it's like it is the exact kind of sass that you would expect to come out of a teenager it is targeted specific sass. Yes, 100%. That's the best way to describe it. Targeted specific sass because Rain very much is calculating and strategic and calm and she will specifically call you out on your horseshit. She knows exactly which buttons to push to get you to do what she needs you to do. Yes, 100%. And she's just another sweet cinnamon roll too pure and good for this earth. A lot of the main cast are sweet cinnamon rolls too good and pure for this earth. <laughs> they like, really are. It's like, it's like, I just want all of the best for these characters. <laughs> Except for Wong. Wong got what he fucking deserves. But yeah, Wong ate lead. He deserved that. He, he ate shit. And it, it fucking deserved the, the best. Also, I don't know if Joy Lon deserves the best yet or not. Well, that, if that's... we get a season two, we'll find that out. Or if yeah. somebody picks up the manga. No, yeah, that's that's to that's to be determined. But all the other major characters for Sunset Ravens, yeah, they're they're all sweet cinnamon rolls. They have wonderful pure intentions. Even Shuka, even though she is fucking crazy sometimes. 
has pure intentions. Not Protect gonna lie. Protect these children. Protect these children with your life. Even though this show is edgy as fuck. <laughs> it may not be the greatest thing. It's not the greatest thing since sliced bread. <laughs> Let's be real. Um, it uses The show uses tropes that have been played so many times. So many times. But somehow is but is still less of a trash pile than some of the other shows. Yeah. In the similar genre. It's not yeah. I'm not even joking, it's true. I I can't find fault with that. No, you can't. You really can't. Oh god. But um yeah, overall the Sunset Ravens, they're a fun group of characters and fun set of performances. Um and definitely show such diverse casting and dynamic for the characters and I loved every second of it. I'm done. I'm done. I All right. <laughs> <laughs> we got two more. We're almost there, Roots. We've almost got this in the bag. Um, so first off, we have Shuka. Um, she's a very high-ranking player when we first meet her. <laughs> um, her single ability... It is originally defined as manipulation of a pair of chains that she uses as a weapon with mm -hmm. blades at the end. Right. You learn in the last arc of the show that it's not just these specific chains that she's able to manipulate. It is really anything that has sort of a long, wiry structure to it. So yep. wires, I think she... I think she said thread she can manipulate. Oh, yeah. Um, like a wire thread. Oh, boy. When she fucking cut off limbs from Wong. Oh, that was fucking glorious. Yeah, so it's basically any any wire, any chain, any thread. Mm -hmm. um, yep. If she can see it, she can manipulate it. Yep. And that is used to utterly devastating effect on Wong and his teleportation ability. <laughs> um, because not only can she move these chains around, um, she can keep them in place and vibrate them. Yep. Um, which, if you know, if you know about mechanical engineering, if you get a wire to vibrate, mm -hmm. it can cut through shit. Yep. Like limbs, for example. Rest in piss, Wong. It's terrifying, but considering it's Wong that it happens to, oh, so fucking satisfying. 100%. Oh, and she's also got a Yandere crush on Kaname, our oh, other character. Sweet <laughs> um, he is introduced to the world of Darwin's game completely by accident uh, when a friend of his from high school sends him the app as an emergency SOS that doesn't quite go so well. Fuck you, Hamada, you asshole. <laughs> You're the reason why we're stuck here. Um, his sigil is kind of a weird one to describe. He is mm -hmm. able to create any object he has touched in the past. But not only that, um, he has a secondary aspect to the sigil as, um, as symbolized by a, um, a man forging a katana mm -hmm. in his mind. Um, it allows him to refine the objects that he is creating uh, to make them more durable, more powerful. Mm -hmm. uh, basically, whatever he needs them to do. Yeah, um, it, there it, are some limitations to the ability that aren't clearly defined. 
Right, yeah, because the show at first, um, his sigil doesn't have a name, actually, at first. Um, and then when he wins the treasure hunt event, he ends up on the phone with the game master. And the game master is the one who finally gives a name for it, and it's called the Fire God's Hammer. I kind of like to think of this as, basically, his sigil is a blacksmith. Right. That's really what it is. Um, and if I recall, it doesn't even have, like, a side effects to the points he earns, which also, as an aside, um, when you win games, you get points, you can trade those points in for money, you can mm -hmm. trade them in for other things, like, Bombs. like, weaponry <laughs> you can use in the game, or vehicles, or whatever you need. Yep. Uh, the game bends over backwards to accommodate you. Mm-hmm. It has a gotcha function, for fuck's sake. That too. There's <laughs> a gotcha function. Here. Oh, gotcha. Okay. Handgun. And then magically appears at your door. Oh, shit. <laughs> Hand grenade. Okay. Here you go. Boy, I really screwed up on my rolls this time. <laughs> I got a rock. I got a, a one-star rock. <laughs> I got, I got, I got paper. What the fuck am I going to do with this? Can I get scissors next in my gotcha? At least I can stab things with it. Uh, and over the course of Kaname's journey through the course of the series, um, he loses all of his all of his high school friends. Oh, they get no. killed off one by one. Yep. Teardrop. Yup. Um, <laughs> motivation. Character motivation. Hell. And he forms the clan, the Sunset Ravens, mm -hmm. more or less to ban the usage of the Darwin's Game app in yep. Shibuya, in the the territory he basically takes over from the Eighth Clan. Yep. In that very badass ending sequence yep. to the show. Yep. It's it was great. pretty badass. It was great. Um. So in any case, uh, Shuka is played by Alexis Tipton. And Kaname by Stephen Fu. Now you know Alexis Tipton from a lot of things, but in particular, Mizuki Himiji from Buck and Test, Midori in Divine Gate, and Maria in uh, Maria the Virgin Witch. Is that? Yep. Okay. I shortened it. <laughs> okay. Yes, it, it, it is Maria and Maria the Virgin Witch. Yes. Uh, now Stephen Fu, you would know as Roddy Walker in Bem. God, that's such a good show, Ben. <laughs> um, Saito in Hakata Tonkatsu Romans. And Oda Nabukatsu in Kochiki. Another really good show. It is another really good show. A lot Look. of underrated really good shows in Stephen Fu's filmography there. I've only seen two of them. I haven't touched Bem. I've only seen Tonkatsu Romans and Kochoki. Kochoki. Bevins. Bleh. Talking. Uh, Bem is talk. so good. I was about to say, I know you loved it so much from what I've heard, so. Okay. Alexis Tipton is Yandere Shuka. <laughs> um, this is a hot take. Because, again, there's a fan base for this show. Shuka is a better fucking character than Yuno Gasai from Future Diary. Oh my god, is she? So much better. And I know you you described her as a Yandere character, and she has those characteristics. 
it's not as terribly like yandere as fucking Unogasa. Oh, like it has it has diary, its moments. Future Diary makes the yandere side of Yuno. Oh my just, god, that is her entire. You know that that's her entire character. I feel like. Because there are some yandere qualities, I think, in one of the twins from Higurashi, maybe? I feel like if that's where yandere, the yandere trip started, fucking Yunogasai perfected the crazy bat shit yandere. <laughs> I will admit that. But, kind um, of in all the wrong ways, but yeah. I in all the wrong know. ways, you're right. But... Yunogasai know, as a as a yandere character basically like is what popularized that character trope I think in terms of like anime and popular media but Shuka does have those yandere qualities but it's not as prevalent again <laughs> early on we have the whole thing where Kaname wakes up at Shuka's house she's first of all butt ass naked because she didn't want to wear her dress and get it wrinkled <laughs> So she didn't even put pajamas on because she was too tired. And um, she looks up at him and is like, hey, Kaname, let's start a family. And of course, you know, Kaname and the rest of the world mistake that right off the bat for what a literal meaning is. Oh. <laughs> it's like, like, what? <laughs> Hold up. That's too fast, Shuka. But, um, no. Alexis Tipton is a fun portrayal of a... I'm going to call Shuka a semi-yandere character. Because she, again, she okay. has a quality. Uh, she has the qualities. She doesn't go too far in those yandere characteristics, though. Um, I think... what I wrote something specific about Alexis. Okay. So, the tone of voice and the personality that Alexis has does remind me a little bit of Brianna Palencia's portrayal of Yunogasa in Future Diary. It does remind me of that same tonal quality a little bit. But again, Shuka's not as much of a yandere as fucking Yuno is. Uh, no. which is which, thank Christ. Because uh, that could have destroyed the show very quickly. Um, but Alexis definitely has the tough girl attitude. She's very sweet, and she can be very sweet and adorable at times, but she can also look at you at a, with a smile on her face before she throws a fucking chain spear at your, at your, at your gut and kill you. Um, it's like... the I think it's like a sickly sweet kind of tone personality, which I think works very well for Shuka's character. Because mm -hmm. she could be very, very sweet one minute, and then murderous and vengeful the second, another second. But most of the portrayal of Alexis's Shuka is that sickly sweet kind of tone and that personality that she portrays. And I think Alexis does very well with that. Again, it's similar reminiscent, very reminiscent of what Brina Palencia did with Yunogasai. But again, the character is vastly different here. And I think it, that kind of works a lot more in Alexis's favor when she portrays this character. Um, 
As for Stephen Foo, God, we love Stephen Foo around here. <laughs> um, that we do. We do. Kaname is a very interesting character. Um, he Kaname starts off in the show as very cowardly, very overly cautious, and very confused. Because, again, he's just thrown into Darwin's game for no fucking reason. Again, fuck you, Hamada. You asshole. Why you do this? Uh. And... Then over the course of the show, he still retains some of that cowardice, but he also has, like, the determination, because he doesn't want to see anyone die. He absolutely does not want to see anyone die. So much so that any fights he just accidentally gets thrown into, he does his damnedest to make sure the other person doesn't die. Like... Banda basically gets killed inadvertently and by accident because he gets hit by a fucking car. <laughs> and then you have... Because he does fight Shuka early on as well. And she he gets her to surrender because he did not want to kill her. And he manages to convince her to trust him. And then from there, like, all of the fights that he goes through, he doesn't want to kill people. 100% he doesn't want to see anyone else die because of this stupid fucking game. And then you have, after the treasure hunt event, you kind of feel like you get a sense that his character is shifting a bit, and you think it's going to be a bit more vengeful, to uh, vengeful, more aggressive, which he does get a bit more aggressive. Um, but what really kills you is when Shinozuka is killed by Wong. That is the moment where the switch just flips. And Kaname doesn't give a flying fuck anymore. I mean, to be fair, he still kind of does. He doesn't necessarily want to kill. It's just these guys. Yeah, because after the fight with Wong, he kind of, for lack of better phrasing here, he reverts his character back a little bit more to what he was before. But it's Shinozuka's death at the hands of Wong that does push him over that edge just enough. To just be like, okay, that's it. You're fucking dead. And a good... I think this performance, the parallel character that this reminds me of, is actually Nobukatsu. I think. Because Nobukatsu, in terms of tone and performance, starts out as this very calm individual, like, not wanting to get too involved. But in Nobukatsu's case, he gets tricked into getting more involved and being more aggressive. And Steven has to grow as a, has to have Kaname grow as a character from being this cowardly person to wanting to stop this game. And then the moment where he does suddenly like flip after seeing Shinozuka's body in the box. Oh boy. (laughs) Does Steven go full on aggressive and vengeful? And you can feel, you can feel that aggression in the tone of voice, and that vengeful attitude that Kaname has, and oh, holy shit, I have never... I've seen Steven Fu go mildly aggressive with Nobukatsu before, right? Yeah. I've never seen him go full-on vengeful rage aggressive as I have here. And I mean... God damn it, is it beautiful. I have, but I'll get to that in my little segment, so... Right. I'm assuming it's 
it's something to do with them. That's my guess. You can tell me later. Or when we get to you. But no, like, the progression of the character, Steven has to go through this through line with the character development and the progression of the whole course of the show. And it's a, it's, even though the show has its fucking flaws, it's as natural progression of this character as you would think the show would go. And Steven Fu goes through that through line, I think rather wonderfully, honestly. And to the, then you get the end where he now has new determination to try and end this game for good. And his main goal now, I want to kill the game master because this dude's a fucking asshole. <laughs> That's basically I mean, his you? new goal. I mean, fair. <laughs> fair. That's the goal of anybody who plays a fucking death game like this. <laughs> like, who are we kidding? <laughs> but um, as a performance, I think Steven managed to portray this... The character is, while stereotypical compared to other characters similar in nature um, in this type of genre, he plays the through line very, very well and so naturally that you can fully believe it, and I enjoy every second of it. Okay. Also, give us more aggressive Stephen Fu. I want to hear more of it. It's fun. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Please. It's so much fun. Oh, it is. Uh, so, starting with uh, Shuka and Alexis Tipton, I really liked it. Um, mm-hmm. Similar, in a way, to what Steph was saying. Um, I like that it sort of took it into a degree similar to Yuno Gasai, but it didn't quite go that far. Right. Uh, Alexis Tipton actually does a really good job as Yandere characters. Mm-hmm. Um, I I can't think of an instance right off the top of my head, but I know I've seen them. Um, I don't see enough Yandere characters that Alexis plays. If there's a, there might there's Alexis has been around for a while. There's probably one, another one somewhere, but not to this extent. <laughs> right. Um, she does it really well. Uh, she plays it with just enough menace. Mm-hmm. And. Like you were saying, um, when she's not, like, outwardly intimidating to somebody, she is cloyingly sweet. Yes. And if the character weren't such a Yandere, that would be very, very annoying. But uh, the fact that she does have that sort of not-quite-sadistic side to her, uh, Mm -hmm. it balances things out really well. Um, I do particularly like the, um, the fight she has with, um, uh, with Sui and Soda mm, in yep. the subway station. Yes. Uh, where they basically try to drown her and, mm-hmm. um, and Kaname has to dive into the water to rescue her. Yep. Like, I, I thought that, like, her sort of vulnerability was really... It was a nice contrast to what I had before that. No, absolutely, because that's one of the few times where she's in a very vulnerable position. Um, and overall, also with the um, with the fight with Shui Lan, where that sort of sort of shows the extreme opposite to that, mm-hmm. um, where she is very in control of the situation, even when she shouldn't be. 
Um, Alexis Sifton did a really great job balancing the character out. Um, anyway, moving I, on to Stephen Fu and Kaname. Can I just say one quick thing with Alexis? Sure. I liked how you did bring up the fight with Joelon uh, and um, how Alexis manages to keep that character balanced out. Sweet lord, if there was any scene where Shuka could have gone full-fledged yandere, it would have been that. Right. And, and I mean, the, and it doesn't I think the furthest she got was, you know, the, was basically asking Kaname, did she molest you? Well, even then, I think with that miniature scene, when she talks to Kaname, she was just sweet. Still that sickly sweet that Shuka normally is, but it's her against Shuailan, I think, is where she gets very aggressive, and you kind of see those little slight yandere gears turning, I guess, is the right way to yeah. put it. So. Uh, now, Stephen Fu as Kaname. Um, again, I'm, I'm glad you brought up the, um, the comparison to Oda Nobukatsu. Yep. Um... Because, yeah, he is basically goaded into a more aggressive stance by his opponent. Yes. Uh, which, in this case, is Wong. Mm-hmm. Um, I have seen him that vicious before. Okay. Um, it actually comes in the form of Anti from Gridman. <gasps> Fuck, you're right! I forgot about Anti! Oh, shit! Um, not quite that extreme. No, but... it's not that extreme, no, but you're right. Um He is just in the in that last episode or two, he is just gung-ho. Mm-hmm. Um I like the sort sort of lower pitch and uh temper he gives mm-hmm. when he's sort of in this Oh, I don't know how to describe it. It's it's not quite anger. Um, I actually see it kind of similar to, um, the Chimera Ant arc of Hunter Hunter. The very end where Gon fights, uh, Neferpito. I feel like, I feel like Steven's progression of the character is one of, I have seen some shit. <laughs> right. <laughs> Which is true. I have seen some shit. Because in the first nine or ten episodes of the show, he is basically, like, fuck, I don't want to kill anybody. Mm-hmm. I'll stop you, but I'm not gonna, you know, I'm not gonna end you. Right. I'm not gonna straight up break your legs to keep you from coming after me, but... Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. But then, when he has to open the box, and, you know, see that Shinazuka is kind of... Uh, there's a seven, a seven thing happened. Um, <laughs> and he has to kind of look at the mincemeat that was once his friend. Yep. And sets off the, I don't want to say it's a preserve button, because he's still somewhat in control. He is just a little more willing to kill people. The, the morals he had, I feel like a good portion of him not wanting to kill people is a moral it's like right. a, it's it's similar to like a moral dilemma in a way, and Shinazuka dying is the push he, ju- the pussy push he just needed to finally like let that moral, that those morals go. I think. Yeah. Um, and that that was a really great mm-hmm. 
little moment there. Um, oh, yeah, 100%. Particularly, though, the thing I like most about Stephen Fu's performance about uh, Kaname, mm-hmm. um, while him going berserk is fun, um, it is sort of those moments um, against Shuka, talking with Rain when he first meets her. It's, um, you know, parlaying with Ryuji and mm-hmm. Hiragi. Oh, the dynamics he has, Steven has with all the other characters are phenomenal. Like, his interactions with everyone else are great. And, okay, him actually parlaying with Joylan after mm-hmm. she loses. Yep. Uh, that actually may be one of my favorite moments of Stephen Fu's Kaname. Yeah. Because, I mean, after he's seen some shit in the, um, the Treasure Hunt event, he quickly has to grow into the role of leader of a clan. Which yes. is something he didn't really, I don't think, wanted to do. He just got thrown into it. But I think that moment against Zhui Lan, mm-hmm. he realizes it's, you know... I don't necessarily want to be the leader of this group, Mm -hmm. but they have put trust in me. Right. So I need to be the person that they can trust. Yes. And I think that is... Episode 9 is the defining moment of Kaname's character. More so than when he finally sheds the moral objection to killing people. No, like, one, I 100% agree with that. Like, this is where the the switch for the character, the development for the character really starts coming into play. 100%. Yes. Um, so overall, I really like the performances of Alexis Tipton and Stephen Fu. Mm-hmm. Um, so, honestly, getting into final thoughts, mm-hmm. um, the cast is a great package deal. Overall. Yes. Uh, I gotta say, um, this is a great ensemble cast. Mm-hmm. Uh, Clifford Chapin definitely has a sense of what talent he has available at Funimation to use at any given time. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, you know, this especially where this is, this is Anaplex entrusting Funimation with a show of theirs. Yes. Um, this is probably one of the most important dubs Funimation has done of the simuldub era. In that sense. 100%, I can agree with that. Um, this may... Honestly, while I'm kind of on the fence about the show as a whole, uh, the fact that this was a dub that was so painstakingly crafted... Mm-hmm. Um, in the same sense that Funimation is producing a dub for One Piece for Toei Animation, um, this shows that even if Funimation doesn't outright own the property they are dubbing, mm-hmm. um, they still put the same amount of care and attention into it as something like... Um, I know technically... I think it's still one of those distributed through Funimation things, but something like Attack on Titan or yes. Tokyo Ghoul. Yep. They're big tent poles. Mm-hmm. So, I really hope to see more 
um, more collaborative dubs between Anaplex and Funimation in the future. Yes. Um, I am glad that this is sort of their, their sort of litmus test. Mm, yeah. Um, because this was so, so well done, I, I really hope that the, the relationship between Anaplex and Funimation can continue into the future in producing actually really good dubs. I mean, so far that relationship has been going rather well this year. Not just on the dub production part, but like the physical release part too, actually. Right, because Funimation is kind of distributing a standard edition of Demon Slayer for Anaplex. Yep. While Anaplex is distributing the limited edition one. And then I think Funimation is the only distributor for another Anaplex title that came out. I can't remember which one it is, though. Hmm. I feel like I heard that somewhere. I just don't remember. But, like, another example could be Kaguya-sama, right? Because Anaplex Anaplex already did a limited edition set, sub-only. I can see Funimation taking on a standard edition set. You know what I mean? And they're being entrusted with a dub for that, too. Exactly. And, you know, with Anaplex so far confirmed to be handing four shows over to Funimation for this mm-hmm. season, mm-hmm. possibly a fifth, but it hasn't been announced. Right. As of right now. Um, like, this has the potential to be something big. And for for this test case, um, I'm glad this worked out as well as it did. Mm-hmm. Um, so... Obviously, I got that out of the way. Um, <laughs> Do you want me show to... itself is kind of eh, but Yuck. the dub is really good. <laughs> um, so what did you think overall about the, uh, the dub of Darwin's game? Yeah. The show aside, <laughs> I'm going to recommend this the, the, the show Darwin's game if you like stupid, edgy bullshit. <laughs> Similar to King's Game, though King's Game is even more shitty of a show. Or Future Diary. If you like edgy bullshit. You're gonna like this show. Um, that being said, like, you, I couldn't have said any better than myself than what you said. That being said, the dub, it's a solid dub for a show that probably doesn't deserve it that much. You're not wrong. I'm not wrong. But, um, no, like I said in the beginning, Cliff Clifford Chapin has a wonderful sense of the shows he's working on, the characters in the show, the storyline. He has a fantastic sense, and he's able to not only cast the show in a way that works for the show and the characters involved, but direct them in a way that elevates those characters and make them stand out even more. Um, you can argue that with Dr. Stone, you can argue that with Gridman, you can argue that with basically any show that he's directed. Um, pretty much. Pretty much. So he has a fantastic sense of that, and that's probably what really endears me to Clifford's dubs in the first place, is that he just has this sense or this instinct of how he thinks the show should sound and how it can help elevate the characters in the show itself. And Darwin's Game is no exception to this. The casting is so much fun. Um, I mean, I got to have fucking the dark dark alternative universe version of fucking Buggy the Clown. <laughs> like, <laughs> what else? What, what can I want? Um, even to the even to the point he falls apart in the end. Yeah, it's great. Um, 
it's wonderful direction, wonderful casting and performances. Like, even though the show is not fantastic, not the dub's fault, first of all. No. The dub does what it can to elevate the show. And that's what I think makes Darwin's game work so well, is with the dub, those characters are elevated and you relate and you feel for them very, very hard. And it's just, oh, it's so wonderful. Um, and like you were saying, as this being a test run of the new Aniplex Funimation deal, thanks to fucking, what is it, Sony? Thanks to Sony, basically? Yeah. Um, they this... are now corporate step cousins. Yeah. It's, it's an interesting relationship. And I'm excited to see that grow and progress um, and I hope, I cross my fingers, that's going to work very well. Again, I'm going to be curious to see if they go, if Funimation gets the ability to go back to some of Aniplex's older titles to give them new dubs for. We don't know if Mo that's going to be possible. Zushi. Mo Dao Zushi. Mo Dao Zushi. <laughs> I, I would love Silver Spoon, personally. Um, I mean, we can see it being a possibility thanks to Kaguya-sama being a thing this year, but that's also because Kaguya-sama Season 2 happened. Um, so we can't say for sure if that'll be an actual thing. Um, but, if anything, between um, this and another um, dub that Clifford is currently directing, it's possible... Oh, yeah! It's possible he could end up cementing himself as the go-to person to direct Aniplex titled dubs. It's humanly possible. It's very possible because the new show he's working on is fan-fucking-tastic. <laughs> um, it's exciting. Oh my god. Fucking. It's exciting. And I, I can't talk about it too much. But god damn it if I'm not part of the episode for this one. I'm going to fucking kill p- things. Because I have been waiting for three fucking years for a certain person to finally get their ass to Texas and be a part of more dubs and he gets a lead fucking role. Thank you, Christ. If you know, if you are paying attention, you know exactly who and what show I'm referring to, but I'm not going to say any more than that. Otherwise, no. Mm-hmm. What? Why are you behind me? Go, go away. <laughs> Fuck. You're funny. He's like a cat. He is. You're like, he says you're like a cat. Fucking <laughs> <laughs> hell. Yes, subs are better than dubs. Yeah. Fuck! <laughs> the cat with hot takes is bad boy, back, boys and girls. <laughs> no. I but, never um, left. Yeah. <laughs> Shit. Um, no, but. <sighs> Darwin's game is a very interesting test case for this new relationship and deal with between Funimation and Aniplex, in terms of dubs. Physical releases, I think Demon Slayer is an interesting test case for this. Um, But in terms of dubs that Funimation have created for Aniplex titles, this is a very solid one. 100%. -hmm. Um, It's a solid, again, a solid dub for a show that can be edgy and trashy as shit. But it speaks volumes that they still manage to take properties like this that maybe no one would normally want (laughs) or would think it's a dub. They would take it and still take the time and the effort and the care in order to make something so much fun. So, if you... I mean, who knows? Um, (laughs) This may be actually putting in the numbers, so... 
That's also true. Like, so, if you want edgy, trash lordy shit, similar to fucking Future Diary, except less edgy lord trash shit, because <laughs> it's not as much of that as Future Diary is, go watch Darwin's Game. But if you want to watch a show with a good dub, please watch Darwin's Game. This is a good dub, 100%. Oh, it absolutely is. Mm-hmm. And, um, and now, if you want to check out Darwin's Game, mm-hmm. um, you are actually very much in luck. Um, not only does Funimation have it subtitled, um, you can also find it on Crunchyroll and High Dive as well. Oh yeah, this is one of those ones that's on multiple platforms, I forgot. Uh, and who knows, it might be under the original terms of Funimation's deal with Anaplex, so the dub might actually cross over into those platforms. Don't quote me on that. Right. We, we, we cannot confirm nor deny this. Um, but I know that's kind of the deal that's supposed to be going on with Fake Grand Order, so we'll see. Right. Um, now, if you want to watch the dub... Again, um, at this current point in time, it is exclusive to Funimation streaming service. Mm-hmm. Um, might also be on Hulu by now. I don't. I don't know. We well, cannot confirm nor deny this currently, because Hulu's got its own thing. Right. Um, and if you live in Australia or New Zealand, this will be available to you via Anime Lab. Um, in terms of Funimation streaming service, it's about, what is it, seven bucks a month? Yeah, I think it's six ninety nine, seven ninety nine a month. Um, but there is, a, uh, as always, there's always that, um, 14 day free trial. Uh, if you want to try the, the services for two weeks, um, but as always, the warning come to the the asterisk to add along that. Um, if you don't want to keep the service after the trial, make sure you cancel it because it, when you sign up, it does ask for credit card information, um, and they will charge your card if you do not cancel the service. Hmm. Um, now, on that interesting little caveat, um, if you'd like to follow more of what we're doing. Um, you are you might be watching this via our our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash talk podcast mm-hmm. um, and that would be important if you are listening to this via the audio feed but we'll get to that in a sec yes um like if you're watching this via YouTube just leave a like maybe subscribe click that little bell notification so that we can do the (laughs) (laughs) fucking hell. I mean, let's face it. If you're at this point in the episode and you're on the YouTube channel, or if you're on the listening to one of various audio platforms that we have, if you've watched us suffer for almost two and a half hours, basically, please follow us or subscribe Mm -hmm. to us. The fact that you took the time out of your day to listen to two idiots ramble about a slightly trashy show. <laughs> like, also leave a comment saying you liked or disliked the episode, because that helps with engagement. Yes. The more um, now know. on the subject of our audio-only podcast feeds, mm-hmm. um, if you are watching this via our YouTube feed, you can also take us on the go. Heck yeah! Now you can find our audio-only feeds uh, via Podbean. Mm-hmm. And they are also available via Apple Podcasts and Spotify Podcasts. 
Go follow and us. And if you would like to... If you'd like to contribute to us in a bit more of a dynamic way than like, comment, subscribe. Fucking <laughs> hell. You need to do that every time you start, every time that comes up now. <laughs> when someone, oh, yeah. when, if you're on an episode with someone and someone says like, comment, subscribe, you have to do that every single time. That is now your fucking contracted, contractual obligation roots. I don't care. <laughs> yes! In your contract. I can't now. use a sound bite either. I gotta do the <laughs> Anyway. Andrew's just chilling in the back and he doesn't even know the context of what's happening, but it's fine. Um we do have a, a Kofi mm-hmm. that you can you can buy us a coffee, well one time little helping us out. Yep. Um but we also have a Patreon as yes, well. We do um, some really cool benefits to it. You get early access to audio episodes. You get exclusive clips before the episodes are released. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if you contribute to our $10 tier, once every three months, uh, we open up a raffle. Mm-hmm. Uh, you get to pick a show, and we'll basically set up a crew and review the dub for it. At the time of recording this episode, we actually released the latest um, Patreon episode for Angelic Lair. Uh, and probably by the time this episode release, the um, eligibility point where we get suggestions from our $10 patrons will likely have closed and a show might have been chosen by this point. Um, but if that's the case, the next one would be... Uh, the episode itself would come out by end of December at the latest and then the next giveaway, episode, the next Patreon episode eligibility suggestion thing would be early January 2021. So, uh, but still like you can come chill, hang out. We, 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 we like to be idiots on a daily basis. (laughs) Fuck it. We'll do it live. It's fine. Um, (laughs) and I know Roost didn't bring this up quite yet, but I'll just throw this in there. We also, you can follow us also on social media, primarily our Twitter account at dub talk podcast um we also have instagram and tumblr which we don't update frequently and um i think the double the tumblr is like flat out dead by now Tumblr's dead and um we also have a twitch channel as well dub talk podcast um which we should utilize definitely a lot more yeah i think we're aren't we planning on doing like a couple of among us games via the live stream at some point i wish because here's the problem i have obs for my mac among Us is not Steam is Among Us on Steam is not compatible for Mac. It's only Windows. Right. So we need to get somebody with we need to get an Elgato to, card and yeah. yeah. So I mean, that's it's the not ran into. It's not insurmountable. It, we can figure it out. Yeah, it's not impossible to work around. It's just we need to actually work around it. <laughs> exactly. Um. But no. Yeah. And then speaking of Patreon. Yeah. We um. One other thing we like to. Do with our Patreon is if you contribute um, since the list is kind of short at the moment we just like to mention all of our patrons and thank them for their financial contributions Heck yeah. uh, so starting at our $5 tier we have B. Morris, Crimson Echidna Michelle Travis Miraculous Corazon Nico Robin, but with Yowie Hands and Victor Myborda. And at our $10 tier, we have Anthony Simpson, Carly Lessacow, Jacob Wilson, J2, aka Jared, Julia W, 
Amberla Salenti. So, patrons, thank you so much. We salute uh, you. We beautiful people. would not be able to make Dub Talk as cool of a show without you guys being able to help us out. Listen, sometimes things cost money, unfortunately. <laughs> so we thank yeah. you very much for your help. Like, it is thanks to you guys that we were able to get our audio-only theme finally off the ground. 100%. So, so thank you very, very much. Roots, where, uh, where, now, can, where can they follow you for shenanigans? Yeah, so... I felt like that was where you were about to go, and I stole it. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no worries, no worries. Uh, in terms of my on-the-online shenanigans, you can find me on the Twitter.com at Roots of Justice, where I mainly retweet cute animal pics. I talk about general fandom stuff, anime, movies, that kind of thing. Oh, you, uh, you should give me a follow. It's a good time. Do you still do tinfoil hat conspiracy sometimes? Every once in a while. Uh, when I have some time, I like to put on the tinfoil hat and talk crazy. Because, <laughs> I mean, that's so much fun. <laughs> and the scary part is how much I'm... <laughs> how much recently I turned out to be right. Oh, God! Which is... Whew. Oh, boy. Anyway, um, I also... I'm restarting my blog, Roots of Justice Anime Time blog show. Uh, that if you manage to catch that very long title, just put a .wordpress.com at the end of it and you'll find it. Um, I am working on, like, I am actually working on it. Holy shit, I'm finally working on it. Um, I am actually writing a review for something. It will go up there. <gasps> dun, dun, dun. Um, I'm also... Dun, dun. Sh shut up! <laughs> I swear to Christ, he's gonna be doing this the rest of the episode. I'm, I'm also you, going you to. You good? Yeah. Okay. Uh, my name is Stephanie. Some people on the internet also like to call me Lilac, uh, from my old reviewer days. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Lilac Anime Review, with review being spelled R-E-V-U-E. I also have a blog that I infrequently update, uh, lifeandtimesotaku.wordpress.com. Yay. Now, weren't you putting together a certain list to put on that blog? My fucking anime children! <laughs> My children! <laughs> Because in, if 2020 brought me anything, is the realization I have a lot of, there are a lot of anime characters that I would want to protect as a mother figure. <laughs> Fuck. You have so many sons and daughters, holy shit. Mostly sons, I only have one daughter. <laughs> it's mostly boys. So many sons. So many sons. So many anime sons. And then one daughter. Fuck. So many smiles to protect. I know, right? Some of them are shit gremlins, but still, I love them and will protect them with my life. <laughs> uh, anyway, I think at this point we're done for the day. <laughs> Pretty much. Um, thank you all for joining us for this discussion. Yes, thank you. We hope you had a fun time. This was, like, I said this before we started recording. This is the first time it's just been Roots and I. <laughs> So this yeah, it's been I, fun. I also don't really get to do 
like two person episodes outside of like summer at the movies no so. yeah it's this was actually really fun i i'd like to do a bunch more of these hell yeah like hell yeah we can we can do smaller group sizes for episodes that's never a bad never a bad thing we can always do that but no this was right. a lot of fun <laughs> Yeah, thank you for joining me on this one. Look, again, we're the only two that probably watched Darwin's game, alright? <laughs> I'm pretty like sure. Like, maybe Jamal checked it out. Shut up, Andrew! But I think that's about it. Andrew's in the background, he's like, I watched three episodes, so... <laughs> that doesn't count, that Andrew. doesn't fucking count! It was towards the end, because you watched it with me while I was fucking marathoning it. You got the spoilers! You got the spoilers, Root said. But no, thank you guys for joining us on this weird excursion and adventure. (laughs) We hope you had a fun time. And now I'm hungry. I think I need to make dinner. (laughs) I need to make dinner and then Andrew has to record a podcast episode. (laughs) Yeah. Oh man, we're busy bees. Later than I planned. But anyway, um, from us at the Dub Talk Podcast to you, we wish you a good night. And otaku on the Deba. Otaku on, my friends. Have a wonderful night. And click. Are we ready to jump into the characters? Yeah. <laughs> I oh, like sorry. this first grouping. Oh. <laughs> it's, it's a spam risk. I'm just going to let it run. Phone calls. I've been getting a lot of spam risk calls lately. And I hate it. <laughs> yeah. Mostly from someone being like, student loan forgiveness, and I'm like, I don't believe you. Fuck off. <laughs> I'm not gonna get scammed. Screw that noise. Oh, what the hell? You okay? Yeah, um, yeah, an ad popped up somewhere. <laughs> Random ads. Three, two, one, go. All right. I couldn't find it. Anyway. Um, yeah, it just had a commercial pop up in my, my headphones. That was weird. <laughs> uh, what was I so saying? Weird. Oh, yeah. The dub. I swear to God, Andrew. <laughs> Stop tripping over cords and making noises. <laughs> Fucking hell. Watch your feet, Andrew. Where it says, watch your feet, Andrew. High five. Stop making five. noises in my house. God damn it. Close the door. I'm not continuing until you're fucking done. <laughs> are, you, are, you, are you good? Or am I going to hear M&M's all of a sudden? Yep. <laughs> like... This is a mini breather. All this shit can probably get cut out, but you know, <laughs> we're just here now. It's fine. Or we'll be trimmed and moved to the back of the episode. Maybe. We're-